<sighs> the comfort of your favorite seat is now your comfy car selling command center, thanks to Carvana. It doesn't get any better than this. Your favorite seat's the best spot in the house. Make it even better by entering your license plate or VIN and getting a real offer in minutes. There really is no place like home. And speaking of home, Carvana will pick up your car from yours after you finalize your offer. Visit Carvana.com or download the app and sell your car from your comfy place. Previously on Finding Brittany Drexel. I met a man who wasn't there. For many years, Ray's been the boogeyman. Now the boogeyman of Georgetown, South Carolina, was making his final move with authorities. Angel, I'm, I'm kind of a direct guy. Okay? That's fine. I'm not, not going to beat around the bush. I'm going to waste your time. I want to tell you beforehand that you guys would be completely honest. Okay. A twist in the plot puts Ray Moody's girlfriend, Angel Vaz, directly in the investigator's crosshairs. Did you have any involvement? We did have her dead to rights on accessory after the fact. We pretty much said at that point, flip on Angel, um, treat her like a defendant. When they talked with Ray, they said, we're going after Angel. Nobody expected him to flip like he did. We're following breaking news out of Georgetown County right now. You do have the right to remain silent. It involves a man named as a person of interest in the Brittany Drexel case. Anything you say can will be used against you in a court of law. Brittany was 17, a junior at Gates Chilai, when she left without her mom's permission for spring break in Myrtle Beach. Never in my wildest dreams ever thought my child would go missing, but now look where I am. Seemed inconceivable that someone could just virtually vanish walking between two hotels on a very busy strip. The people that did this are still in the community. They're bad people. Do you think you could be responsible for Brittany Drexel's disappearance? I think you're responsible for anybody's disappearance. From the studios of WCIV ABC News 4 in Charleston, South Carolina. I'll give you a story that I don't think has really ever come out. I'm Ann Emerson, and this is Unsolved South Carolina, case file number two. To me, this is a case of that you will remember for the rest of your life, no matter what. Finding Brittany Drexel. Yeah, I'll take you right where the body is, but if I feel like you ain't been anymore, you never get that body. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's a fact. There's something just like snapping up by the mind, you know? And I strangled her, you know? And that's what happened. Okay. What happened when you right after you strangled her? I hit her body. There or did you leave there? I hit it there for a while and it came back at a later time mm -hmm. when Angel wasn't around. Mm -hmm. And I got her body, took it, and buried her. The race was on to find Brittany Drexel and Ray Moody was the man to lead them there. Moody was very clear. The only way the authorities would ever find Brittany is if Angel Laws walked out of this. You could be a man of your word. Then mm -hmm. I'll say I'll take you right where the body is. But if I feel like you ain't been a man of your word, you fucking never get that body. 
Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's a fact. Yeah. The feds cut a deal. Moody would go to state prison. Angel was Moody's leverage. She was going to cooperate in exchange for her freedom. It's called a proffer. You understand your attorney's going over with you, the proffer right. agreement, and what that means, right? Right. So we're, we're just here for the truth. Okay. Um, and so as long as that's everything that's told today, we're, we're good to go. Angel was brought in to sign her proffer, and after 13 years of lying to law enforcement, Angel gave up the ghost. Me and him had went to the beach. We were in my vehicle, of course. Uh, we stopped, I think, at, uh, t- it was either time out of the bar behind it first. I had a couple drinks. He, of course, I told you did not drink. I had some drinks. Uh, we had smoked weed on the way up there while we were there and stuff like that. And then afterwards, we rode down the boulevard. Uh, at some point, he seen her. I can't give you a time because I really don't know. Uh, he hollers him out the window. What exactly said, I don't remember. Uh, she hollered something back, but couldn't hear. There's a lot of traffic. So he pulled up a little bit. He pulled over to the, a little parking lot on the side of the road. She walked over to the car. He spoke to her out the window, said something about, hey, you want to let's smoke some weed, do a line two. You know, and she said yes. She got into the vehicle. Uh, she had her phone and everything with her. Uh, came back towards Georgetown. Uh, really just smoking along the way, you know, stuff like that. Uh, went down to the pole yard, got out at the pole yard, walked around a little bit smoking. Uh, a little bit later, I called my son, or he called me, I can't remember who called him, but he had the keys to the apartment. So after a little bit, I walked back to call. We all walked back to where the like the car would have been parked, and uh, I said I had to meet him to get the keys. And uh, I said I'll be back in a little while. Nobody said anything. Left, went and met my son, got the keys. Uh, exactly how long I was gone, I don't know. I, I stopped at the keys, talked to him for a minute, went back to the pole yard. When I got to the pole yard, he was standing in the parking lot of the pole yard. I asked him where she was. He said that she called somebody or somebody called her, whichever way, I don't remember. Uh, and she left. And I said, okay. You know, and he said, well, let me get all my stuff and go because he has a tent that he keeps out there because sometimes he would stay out there. He would go fishing out there. I think I went fishing with him twice out there. I stayed the night out there one time. Uh, he went into where the tent was. I stood on the other side. He hand, handed it to me across the fence, uh, put it in the vehicle, and we left the pole yard and went to the apartment. With Angel's freedom basically secured in the state's proffer, it was time to bring Brittany home. There was a gate over the, the drive-through. So we got the owner to open the gate. Um, the first road, and it's still like a, a dirt path. It's not really even a road. He goes down that road to the very end and says this is where she would be buried. Solicitor Jimmy Richardson was also at the dig site. He told us to start digging at this location and to dig, I guess, uh, west of that location. It was down a, maybe not a ditch, but like a swell. And he said, um, start here. And I don't know exactly where she's going to be, but she will not be further down than this. The dig team started on a Thursday morning. 
in 13 years, the trees had changed. The road was now more narrow um, with vegetation coming out on both sides. Um, but he started us probably 15, 10, 15 feet from where she was found. He started us here and said, I don't know that this will be, but she won't be further than this and go that way. And within 15 feet, and, and he said she would be uh, no deeper than four foot. And he said she would be without any clothes. And he said her head will be facing what ended up being west toward the river. Moody said Brittany's body would be two miles as a crow flies from an apartment he had back in 2009, the Sunset Lodge Hotel in Georgetown. One, maybe two o'clock on Friday, um, I get the call. I wasn't there when they found the first bone, but I get the call. We have continued digging and we have found, I think it was a shin bone. Um, so um, now the digging really slowed down uh, because instead of uh, shovels or backhoes, you're using basically thimbles. Um, and uh, uh, they took it out and then they would sift the dirt. And you know, if there wasn't anything in there, they would you know, throw that dirt away and that's how uh, tenuous it got. Uh, but they found the skeleton. Uh, uh, there was no um, skin, there was hair, uh, but no skin, no muscle, anything like that. It was just a clean skeleton facing the way that uh, Ray said it would be facing. There was a, a, a contact, a blue contact, and the, the images that you see of Brittany um, uh, wearing those blue contacts. Uh, we found one, we didn't find both. The FBI, they found uh, a nose ring. In addition to agents from the FBI, the solicitor's office came. There were deputies from Georgetown County Sheriff's Office, sled agents, and the Myrtle Beach police officers, all of whom had been searching for this young girl for 13 years. Myrtle Beach Police Chief Amy Prock was one of them who held vigil as Brittany's body was recovered. Were you there for the whole dig, the whole time? Absolutely. Um, there, there was, like I said, um, probably about a dozen of us. No, none of us wanted to leave and we weren't gonna leave until um, we got the okay that everything was done um, and that um, Brittany was gonna go home. CarMax is putting peace of mind back in car shopping by putting you in the driver's seat to find a ride that's right for you. Because at CarMax, we believe you shouldn't just settle for a car. You should love your car. That's why every car we sell is CarMax certified quality so you can be sure with upfront pricing that's the same for every customer. So don't settle. Find love at first drive and start shopping now at CarMax.com. CarMax, the way car buying should be. When dental records and DNA came back as Brittany's, it was time to let her parents know. 
They all came to the dig site. Dawn, her little brother Camden, her sister Marissa, and Chad. They huddled around this newly turned earth with law enforcement. We were brought out to the location. I think I went numb again, and I was just so angry. My son Camden lost it. Her little brother was shaken up. I was just sitting there. I just felt like Britt was talking through me while I was standing over where she was for 13 years under the drowning. and she's been there too long. So I drew a heart and then the number two. She's always gonna be with me. So it, it was tough, I was crying a lot. But that would be the last time Brittany would be buried. When I went to see Chad in New York, he told me that Dawn had Brittany's ashes divided among her family. So she's with all of us now. She's not in that freaking ground. And because I, call, I, I get passionate about that is because some sicko buried you. I don't want you to be in the ground anymore. So where is she here? So Brittany's in, so she's in, uh, I have a little blue urn with a navy, with a little navy um, anchor on it. Is a symbol. That's when I first met her. I was in the Navy. So, so the, the there's a a little anchor on on a blue uh, little urn, mm -hmm. and it's in a little blue velvet box, and sits near the kitchen table where yep where you can keep an eye on her. I guess. <laughs> yeah, she's in our heart. She's she's always bedding me and pushing pushing me. I've been praying even since I was little about finding my sister and having her come home and it's I feel like he's just putting all the pieces together at the right time for all of us to acknowledge what's going on and what she went through and just to bring her home to the family and so she can be with us. Seeing those images of Brittany's mother Dawn and her family finally gaining closure after their relentless search, it reminded me of a story Monica Kaysen told me. She's the one that led the search team those early days for Brittany, as she had for countless other missing children. Finding Brittany was like a beacon of hope for thousands of others still lost. Here's how one mother described that agony to Monica. She said, I remember at the beginning, I was hopeful you're gonna find her, she's going to be out there injured, but we're going to be okay. And then several days into it, I'm like, okay, I just want I just want her to be found, even if she's hurt, you know, I just, I, let, let's hurry up and get her found. And she goes, then months into it, I'm like, can't, you know, I started bargaining, God, I'll do whatever I can, just help me find my kid, you know? And then the year into it, it's like, can you just bring me a bone? Can you just bring me a bone so I don't have to stand on this road anymore? So it's like, they go from hopeful to the anger to all the different emotions and then it's like I've, I've quit begging I don't know if I, you know where I'm at anymore but can I just get a bone can I just get a DNA saying this was your daughter you know or this was your loved one and after the Drexels had Brittany back the world finally learned the truth on May 16th 2022 the why may never be known or understood but today, this task force can confidently and without hesitation answer the rest of those questions along with the who is responsible. The first and last time I came face to face with Ray Moody was in a courtroom 
five months later. I, along with his victims, not just the family of Brittany, who all wore black that day, but Timothy Taylor and his whole family. Taylor, of course, was the one wrongly accused for years, his face still in those ill-fated Google searches as the one who was responsible for her death. The damage has been done. Years of false allegations and misleading media coverage have taken hold. Timothy's name and face will forever be linked to Brittany Drexel because of a lie and the FBI's reliance on that lie. When the door opens the holding cell, Sheriff Weaver walks up to let the defendant Moody in. Moody walks out on a crutch with what appears to be a flak jacket underneath his navy blue prison uniform. He has glasses on and a full beard, belying his 62 years, but he looks a decade older at least. There are chains around his hips and shackles on his wrists. As we had already seen in his mugshot, he had one eye shut, a medical condition according to the authorities. Several of his acquaintances and law enforcement have told me that that medical condition weighed heavily on his decision to finally come forward and confess. As your honor knows, most cases of this nature would be years to come to a conclusion. It was Mr. Moody's desire that we do this as soon as possible. Moody now stands up just feet away from Tim Taylor's father, who glowers at the back of the killer. The matter before you here today is the state of South Carolina versus Raymond Douglas Moody indictment for murder. With regard to the uh, kidnapping, murder, and criminal sexual conduct in the first degree charges, it's the state's understanding that Mr. Moody wishes to plead guilty to these charges. Taylor's father just shakes his head. I was a monster. I was a monster then. And I was a monster. And I took Brittany Drexel's life. And I'm, uh, I don't have the words to express how horrible I feel. And I've felt ever since that day. I'm very, very sorry. Mr. Moody, you want to plead guilty? Yes, sir. Brittany's mother had her day in court, justice for her daughter, and the last word. For 13 years, I have searched for Brittany and suffered the loss of a child. For 13 years, others were blamed for your actions, and for that, I am so sorry for all they endured. My heart is broken, my life forever changed. So many lives destroyed by your selfish actions. Today, nobody wins. I hope you suffer in prison for the rest of your useless life. I have no regard for you, just like you had no regard for my daughter's life. Beyond the horrific things you did to my daughter, I am haunted by how many other people you have harmed over the last 18 years. I have spoken to some of your other victims, those lucky enough to have survived, but fortunate enough to be haunted by the memory of being only eight years old and being brutally raped by you. No one wins. 
The loss of my daughter has ignited a fire in me and set me on a mission to strip away the rights and freedoms of people like you. I will fight along with other victims and their families to make sure that people like you never hurt a child again. There are so many cases of missing persons out there. Why did Brittany's case stay in the forefront for so many years? I asked that question to FBI Special Agent Reed Davis. Brittany Drexel couldn't have had a bigger champion than her mom, Don, throughout this thing. I think all of us have had at least a conversation or, or two with Don Drexel, and, and she was relentless in, in making sure that, that uh, Brittany got justice. And yet, with Ray Moody now locked away for good, no chance of parole, there's still gaps in his past. Concern that a killer like Moody has more to tell after basically hiding in plain sight for more than 13 years. There are still some questions. We wonder if there are any more shallow graves out there. We wonder how many other lives has Mr. Moody destroyed? And I know Don and I and her family, we're gonna keep digging. We wouldn't be standing here if it wasn't for the determination of a grieving mother. When Ray Moody finally confessed, he said something strange, practically under his breath, yet still it was captured on tape. A telling remark of a serial predator. When Ray Moody buried Brittany's body, he told authorities he threw her belongings in the trash, except for a souvenir, or was it a trophy? I did keep a some kind of identification card she had. I don't, it wasn't a picture, I just had her name on it. Mm -hmm. I don't know why, I hung on to it for a while. And I still had that damn card. It was like a high school card or some shit like yeah. that. That's right. He kept her high school identification card with her name on it. Details that still haunt the investigators. You know, it's hard to get in the mind of, of a psychopath, right? Um, so the things that he the things that he believes happened and then the details in which he believes them, you know, um, yeah, are shocking. He was a serial, violent, sexual predator and uh, who served 21 years. And uh, of course, they're, they're all, any kind of serial um, predator like that, where it be homicide or whatever, it's, to them it's all about power and control. Um, that, that's what that's what rules them, power and control. And power over the victims, you know, um, power and control over the narrative, whatever it is they're trying to uh, talk about or um, make other people, encourage other people to believe. But he was a very disturbing individual to us when we read all that and uh, I was, myself and investigator Hannah were convinced from day one that, that he, he was the man who had done this. Details that haunt his former lover as well, Ernie Merchant. That's his M.O. Grab a stranger. Impulse. Grab a stranger. So to the best of my knowledge, he's never killed anyone before. None of his daughters or his ex-wife were ever that he was ever violent mm -hmm. or uh, in, sexually inappropriate. Right. They were always strangers, somebody that he was emotionally detached from. Mm -hmm. right? You know, yeah. 
and that detachment that you know to completely it was not just somebody that uh, that he was not emotionally attached to but somebody he, that he was not attached to anyone that he knew mm -hmm. a total stranger mm -hmm. so that ability to completely dehumanize you know mm -hmm. a person that is that just mystifies me yeah you know well, and unfortunately that's the scariest <coughs> kind of people it is the scariest kind of people so what were we missing here what secrets did the boogeyman of georgetown south carolina still hide i not only believe that he has um you know some real personality disorders but i you know i believe he's a sociopath mm -hmm. what does he have to lose now i mean why not just because i have often wondered you know what what about all the ones we don't know about mm -hmm. are there people out there with families wondering whatever that what happened to their child or their daughter or their sister mm -hmm. that it's never been resolved and he knows it you know and i'm like what does he have to lose now? This has been Finding Brittany Drexel. Thanks to all who participated in this project, helping us tell Brittany's story. Unsolved South Carolina Finding Brittany Drexel was brought to you by WCIV-TV News 4 in Charleston, South Carolina. Drew Tripp is our executive producer who wrote and created this series with me, your host, Ann Emerson. Daniel Michener is our editor, engineer, and producer. And Max Harrison composed and edited the original music you heard. Ready for more? Check out our Edward R. Murrow award-winning podcast series, Unsolved South Carolina, The Murdoch Murders, Money and Mystery. Audible is the destination for thrilling audio entertainment. Allow your imagination to be piqued by stories that are brought to life through captivating sound design, eerie soundscapes, and dynamic performances. As an Audible member, you'll be able to keep your heart rate up month after month because you can choose one title a month to keep from the entire catalog, including the latest bestsellers and new releases. If you're in the mood for a shocking psychological thriller, check out None of This is True by Lisa Jewell. Embrace brand new exclusive thrillers from bestselling authors who are guaranteed to keep you gripped. New members can try Audible free for 30 days. Visit audible.com slash thrill or text thrill to 500-500. That's audible.com slash thrill or text thrill to 500-500.